Welcome to Ed's Edge, the podcast to help you live the life you've always wanted. I want to give you an edge, a financial edge. I'm Ed Meek. I'm a financial advisor with a passion to help you retire early, save more, and live better. It's often the little things, small behaviors, that can change our lives. That's the power of a financial edge. It is summer, it is hot, and inflation is rising. That's our topic today. We're going to be talking about inflation. We're going to be talking about why is this happening? What does it mean? How is it affecting investments? And the great thing, too, is we have a couple of guests in today replacing James. Not really replacing James. No one can replace James. But we've got our chief investment officer, John Smith, back in today. Did a great job last time. He's going to help us understand inflation and investments and also Nate Bosick. Nate is uh, an advisor here at Edge up in Minnesota. Loves the markets, loves studying them, and pays attention to this stuff a lot. So I thought it'd be great to bring them both in. But first, I'm going to do, again, one of my little quizzes and say, gentlemen, what is the decline of purchasing power of a given currency over time? What, what actually is this? Well, just a precursor to our entire conversation, it's inflation. That's right. I think people hear this term a lot, um, and uh, they kind of understand what it means. The one thing I would say, though, is a majority of the population probably hasn't really experienced this much in their life, not not over a large period of time. I would say personally, I have, unfortunately, that's because I'm a little bit older. But it, the last time it really was exorbitantly high was in the 70s. And uh, and we saw that reflected in all prices, but especially gas. I remember one time with my dad, I had to wait in line at a gas station for a really long time. Like, I don't know, there's like 25 cars ahead of us or something. And it's because everybody was worried about getting more gas and the prices were really, really high. Uh, but let's move on and get to, uh, to the guests. So um, John and Nate, give us a little update on what's going on, Nate, um, in your life. Um, yeah, well, we uh, we just recently bought a piece of land up in Minnesota, and we're going to be building uh, a new home coming up in a couple days, days, actually. Well, why do you actually need a new home? Having a dog, getting him right before the pandemic, and uh, having two young kids that are growing, we need as much space as we can get. So we need a little bit bigger house. Yeah, that's right. Um, I was just kind of, he, he, I caught him off guard there a little bit, but Nate, Nate has a couple beautiful little girls. And uh, they needed a little more room. And also, I think it had something to do with being really close to the golf course. Nate isn't a golf nut. Uh, he can't stop talking about golf. But uh, I personally uh, mentioned last time, great news, uh, having a second grandchild coming. Um, something that happened at the first grandchild's birthday, my daughter had a party for him, and they revealed that we were going to have a granddaughter. So we're super duper excited about that. So it's good times. Uh, I'm going to let John fill us in on what's going on in his life. Unfortunately, not much has happened with him. So you can make it brief, John, but uh, a couple things have happened, right? But but not much. Yeah, the big thing was uh, I got married uh, nine days ago. So that is uh, that was exciting. We did that in uh, Kiwa Island, South Carolina. That's my big my big news. And uh, you married Cynthia, who's awesome. And so John, Cynthia, you know, he he waited a long time to do this. John's 46 years old. 
and John used to has joked with me a lot over the years about how he ha, is an expert at seeing uh, marriages and all the good things and the downsides, and hopefully you won't make as many stumbles as Nate and I have. Uh, I've been uh, at let's see December. It'll be thirty years for me. So uh, incredible. John's at nine days. I'm at thirty years. <laughs> We're almost the same age. Well, I'm sure I'll be asking you guys for advice, but yes, I uh, waited for the right one, and we're very happy. All right, let's dive right in. Inflation. So um, what should we be concerned about when it comes to inflation? Yeah, I can start with that, Ed. I would say inflation is something that's always going on, and I, I think what most people are getting more concerned about is the talk of with low interest rates and easy money right now, that people are worried that rates are going to rapidly rise. And that's the concern with inflation. And then uh, when that happens, if it's over a long period of time, then then we have this diminishing power. If you make the same amount of money, have the same amount of money, it just, just doesn't go as far. Right. And that means then you have less money to spend on other things and the economy slows down and it's just not necessarily the best. Um, the last time, though, that's occurred was in the 70s and 80s, we referenced that. And people were talking, if you were alive back then, which I wasn't, um, people were talking about really high, high mortgage rates, high interest rates overall. Um, you know, Ed, can you shed some light on that? You're a little older. Well, you know, when I was doing a little research on this, I found this chart. Uh, it showed a cup of coffee. Now, we're not talking about Starbucks coffee because that's like the premium coffee that didn't even exist, but just a regular cup of coffee. Back in 1970, I was born in 69. So right around when I was born, a cup of coffee cost 25 cents. 10 years later, it was 45 cents, so almost double. 10 years after that, it was 75 cents, so triple. Now, just fast forward it to just recently, that same kind of cup of coffee is $1.60. Um, that's just an example of what inflation does. We all kind of know that. I mean, another example would just be uh, like stamps, you know, postage stamps, how they consistently uh, go up and, and everything does that. And that's okay. We know that it, everything's going to go up. It's just the concern is now it's going to go up maybe potentially much faster than it normally does. Okay. So that's the concerns with inflation. What are, why should we not be concerned about inflation or what are some things that, that we should not be, John, when it comes to that? Well, inflation is uh, it's normal and healthy um, during an economic expansion you know, prices tend to increase and that tends to be good for um, U.S. corporations because they can raise prices and grow their earnings that way. So as long as inflation is um, rising and stable, it's um, not necessarily a bad thing. It really um, gets to be a problem when it rises to be out of control. Uh, and then that causes the Federal Reserve to worry about trying to stop inflation and they raise interest rates and that can cause recessions. So it's really um, normal inflation, even rising inflation is not bad as long as it doesn't, uh, become out of control like it did in the late seventies. Okay. Yeah. 80s. I was going to say like, what's an example of out of control and, uh, what happens like when it gets out of control, like what's an example or what? When I think when inflation gets out of control, people are worried, um, about, uh, making purchases and how much it's going to cost, uh, companies, it, they have a more difficult time of planning. Um, so they stop hiring and they stop uh, doing new projects because they're not sure what how much it's going to cost six months or a year from now. So it tends to kind of bring things to a, a halt. Um, and then the Federal Reserve, when they see rising inflation, they do worry that prices will get out of control 
Um, so they tend to um, raise interest rates to combat inflation, and that usually brings that out of recession. All right, let's let's kind of switch to inflation and and what we're kind of hearing on the street. You know, the reason why we wanted to do this podcast is because we've just been hearing about it a lot more. I mean, we're reading personally, but for example, Nate, you, you talk to clients a lot. What are you hearing when it comes to this? Yeah, a lot of clients recently have been reaching out uh, proactively and asking questions around uh, mainly the safer portions of their portfolio. Um, should I be still holding bonds? Um, you know, rates are going to rise. I've I've heard it's bad for bonds. Should I should I still do that? Do I own them? Is it good for me to still have any bonds in my portfolio? And the reason why they're actually asking, because this has happened to me too, is is they they kind of know bonds don't pay as high or as much on average as stocks, and so then they think, oh, if bonds are going to go way down, then why should I even own them? Right. That's exactly right. Yeah, they're they're mainly concerned with having a big drop in the bond market, and I think it's it's an over sensationalized topic, and that people think when you hear drop, they think of a stock market like drop, and mm -hmm. it's something that isn't necessarily true, uh, especially around bonds. It's it's a very slower moving marketplace, and so you don't see prices reflected that quickly in a bond market. When's the most recent time we've kind of seen something like this happen, like a quick interest rate pop? Well, back in uh, 2013, uh, people called that the taper tantrum, and that's when the Federal Reserve uh, telegraphed that they might be raising interest rates. So when the 2008 great financial crisis happened, the Federal Reserve lowered rates down to zero, and they kept them there for many years. Um, and then in 2013, they um, sort of telegraphed that they would be raising rates, and the bond market did um, temporarily sell off and rates went up, but it was a pretty temporary phenomenon. And the Fed did, actually did not end up raising interest rates until several, several years after that. One thing I want to do is kind of interject here. This is something that I talk about a lot when I talk to people about bonds and sometimes when they have questions about bonds or concerns about bonds. And so this is something I learned early on uh, when I became a consultant and so what I want you to do is just in your mind, create a picture. Think about when you were a kid. I think all of us have had this experience. When you're a kid and you're on the playground, there's that one toy that two kids can play with. It's called a teeter-totter. And on a teeter-totter, there's a kid that sits on each end of the teeter-totter. And then there's that fulcrum in the middle. There's that usually some version of some kind of triangle in the middle. And the teeter-totter can go up and down depending on the kids pushing it one way or the other. The best way to understand inflation in this situation or interest rates, interest rates are going to go up as inflation goes up. And when that happens, that's one end of the teeter-totter. The other end is bond prices. So if interest rates and inflation are going up, then the smaller child is on the one end. That's the interest rates. The bigger child, the one who's bigger, is sitting on the other end. That's bond prices. And so the bond prices go down, interest rates go up. And then when interest rates go down, which really started happening kind of in the 80s, and they've pretty much gone down, 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 almost until just recently, then bond prices were going up. So bonds have been super steady, very attractive for many, many, many years, over 30 years. And now a lot of people are having these concerns that everything's reversed and it's going to get worse. We don't feel as of right now that 
it's going to be dramatically worse. At least it doesn't seem that way. And that's why we're not super concerned about the teeter-totter going whipping back in that other direction. But I wanted to kind of create that in your mind so you would understand what happens. We're going to actually, in the footnotes of the podcast, uh, if you go into our website, you'll be able to see a picture of this. Um, the, the last piece I wanted to say regarding the teeter-totter is we also want to understand that at the edge of the teeter-totter where the kids sit, that is considered like long-term uh, bonds, meaning like a 30-year bond, a treasury bond or whatever. If you sit closer to the middle of the teeter-totter, because remember, sometimes other kids would like jump on and they might sit on the teeter-totter closer. Remember, when you're sitting close to the fulcrum, you actually don't go up and down really very fat, very high. Remember, the, the one at the end of the teeter-totter goes up high or down low, but the one near the middle of the teeter-totter doesn't. That's exactly like bond um, averages of bond, like one or two or three-year bonds that you own. That's really close to the fulcrum. But if you own bonds that are farther out, then they are dramatically affected more. So I just want to interject, kind of create that picture in your mind so you could understand what we're talking about. All right, so John, let's let's kind of come back. I know you just said like just recently the what happened with the taper tantrum. How many years have we kind of had negative returns because of bonds or interest rates jumping like since 1926? Right. So we uh, we did a study going back to 1926, so about 95 years back, and we have reliable data for both stocks and bonds and how they did every single year. And going back to 1926, bonds have produced a negative return only 10 times. What kind of bonds are these? Uh, these are intermediate term bonds, um, kind of middle of the road in terms of their maturities and their high quality bonds. So kind of in the middle of the teeter-totter part, right? Exactly. Okay. And the worst year going back to 1926 for bonds was negative uh, 5%, and that was in 1994. And if we contra contrast that to stock returns, going back to 1926, we've had 25 um, years where stocks produced a negative return. Uh, and the worst year was um, down 43%. That was in 1931 during the uh, Great Depression. So there's a huge disparity in terms of both the number of years that bonds have negative returns and the sort of the depth of the, the negative returns. And John, wouldn't that be true too, that um, historically too, looking at those down years in bonds, anything worse than a 2% drawdown has resulted in a pretty quick snapback the following year to bond values too. I think people also are mis misrepresented in that where they think it's going to be a multi-year drawdown and, and really tough. Exactly. Yes. When we look at all those negative uh, returns very quickly, the bond market tends to snap back and uh, produce um, very positive returns in the subsequent years. So just a couple of like FYIs, when it comes to investing in bonds and situations like this, you know, on that teeter-totter example, if you own shorter bonds, you're just, even in the bad year, you're not going to get hurt nearly as nearly as much. So that's one way of doing it. The downside to that is the shorter-term bonds, they don't pay very much in interest. And so those are just general bonds. Now, there's, there's other ways uh, of kind of uh, still owning bonds, but maybe not partaking in that. And what are some ways that investors can own bonds that maybe just aren't tied to that. We have other bonds that we like, right? Exactly. We uh, occasionally will invest in high yield bonds. Um, so these are bonds issued by U.S. companies or companies abroad um, that have uh, sometimes lower credit ratings, but they tend to pay a lot higher interest. 
and those bonds tend to fare very well during uh, positive you know, economic growth. We also own um, mortgage-backed bonds, and those bonds are uh, backed by the um, principal and interest payments of you know, U.S. mortgage holders. And some of those bonds actually have features where the, uh, the interest payments reset higher if interest rates climb, and that tends to protect kind of the value of those bonds when rates do rise. So that's a version of something that we would call floating rate bonds. There's some bonds that exist that float where they actually reset over a period of time higher if interest rates are going up. So those are really good to hold um, in environments like that. Now, just an FYI, we're not telling anyone to do specifically any of these things. you got to do your research. You have to understand how all of these things are affected. But those are some things to consider when you're doing you know, research for yourself. So let's just shift gears and go to stocks. Like what happens with stocks when inflation happens? Is this something we should be concerned about? Yeah, typically with stocks, um, a lot of the times inflation is very good for them. Um, they're able to raise prices and I think everyone kind of knows this, but doesn't always think about it. Earnings are what really drive the market over the long term. And the fact that you are able to raise prices, increase earnings, that's going to help the stock market grow. And um, that just really makes it easier for companies to make more money in, in our eyes. So John uh, just loves to do research. He provides it to us all the time. And one of the companies that um, he gets incredible research from is JP Morgan. And John, I know that you've shared with us recently some of that information. What 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 have they put together regarding, you know, inflation and and what happens with stocks? Um, yeah, sure, J.P. Morgan does some great research on um, how inflation affects different asset classes and how many times it's occurred, in the, in the last thirty three years. So there have been um, since the late '80s, uh, there's been uh, four different years where we had low inflation to start, but inflation increased. And during those times, um, stocks actually fared quite well. Um, bonds did well too, but stocks actually performed very well, as as well as uh, real estate investment trusts and commodities. And even if we look back at times when inflation was already high and went even higher. Again, um, stocks did very well in that environment, uh, as well as commodities and, and real estate. And bonds also produce positive returns, but just not as high as stocks. So in general, if we have rising inflation, that has tended to be very good for, for stocks. Um, and even bonds, uh, if we have rising inflation, they, they still produce positive returns most of the time. So moral of the story is, if we're looking at the same chart here, the cash is the underperformer in that, that environment. And for people that think just sitting on the sidelines and waiting for some cataclysmic event to occur, it might not really necessarily happen massively in a bond market like this. And then, you know, kind of just waiting on the sidelines might not be the best play. Exactly. And looking at cash right now, the uh, yields are extremely low uh, because interest rates are low, um, but inflation is starting to rise. So actually, if you sit in cash, you have a negative return after uh, inflation. Well, we've talked about so many times on this uh, podcast about just timing the market, which is usually people putting their money in cash and trying to wait until something gets attractive and you wait too long. It's just really hard. And this is another environment that it's really hard. So um, we have yet to find someone who can do it perfectly well for a long period of time. Guys, this has been extremely helpful information, but 
you know, for people out there who are kind of concerned about inflation, concerned about how it's going to affect stocks and bonds, like what what are kind of the last things that you just want to communicate to those type of people out there? Um, I'll start, Ed. I would say the biggest thing uh, that I take away from this and, and just listening to the numbers that John gave us is that a bad year in the bond market really, really pales in comparison to a bad year in the stock market. And you shouldn't, you know, yes, we know maybe there's the potential that bonds might have a, an issue moving forward to be super positive or, or have a lot of success. That doesn't mean you should stay stray away from the risk profile that you're willing to accept. And you don't want to, um, you know, eliminate bonds from a portfolio, so to speak, and take on so much more risk that you can't stomach it. Yeah, so I would uh, agree with Nate on all the points as well, just to add that when the stock market really struggles, it's great to own bonds because bonds tend to hold up much better during those times. And you can rebalance your portfolio by selling bonds and buying in back into equities at a low point. When you're, when you're listening to the media, when you're reading about bonds, uh, just be aware that sometimes the uh, media overhypes the risk of bonds. And as Nate said, that in a bad year, bonds might lose a few percent, whereas um, stocks tend to lose a lot more. So they do provide stability within your portfolio. Exactly right. And just kind of bouncing off of John's idea of when a lot of people rebalance when the stock market's low and they're doing that with their bonds, some of these years coming up might be a good time to rebalance back into bonds from gains in the stock market because we just talked about stocks typically performing well during these times. Great. Very helpful information. Thank you both gentlemen. Really appreciate it. This brings us to food for thought. And uh, a great time to do this segment was the reason we were able to do this podcast with uh, both of them is, is Nate's from Minnesota. As I said, we had everybody fly in yesterday and we're having a team meeting uh, today and tomorrow. We all went out for an extremely good meal yesterday in, in Wheaton. I just wanted to uh, tout this restaurant we went to. It's called Ivy. And the reason why it's pretty cool and you want to consider maybe going there is both the food's great, but also it's a really cool place. Uh, it actually, I think they told us it was, um, and I knew this before, but an old funeral home. It has um, like stained glass window and just the way that the whole building was kind of made. It has a cool ceiling. Um, and so that was cool. And then, uh, and then our meals were good. Um, Nate, what did you get and did you enjoy it? Yeah, I had... Uh for an appetizer, we shared crab cakes with our end of the table, and they were fantastic. Good-sized pieces of crab inside, really good. And then I had also a New York strip um, with a twice-baked potato. Both cooked. The steak was cooked exactly how I like it, which is rare, and uh, the potato was delicious too. Yeah, I had the bone-in ribeye, and I'm kind of a, a steak snob, so I'm often underwhelmed, but this one was a, a really good one. So. I would say the steaks there are great. Did you enjoy your meal, John? <laughs> I very much did. We uh, had the fried Brussels sprouts as an appetizer uh, with a honey sriracha sauce. They were outstanding. Oh, yeah. I think those are probably the best I've ever had, Brussels sprouts, I would say. Agreed. And then I had the half-roasted chicken with mashed potatoes and green beans just to make me feel a little bit healthy as I was eating all that good food. Awesome. Great. Guys, thanks so much. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, we'll have you on again soon. Thanks. Bye. I have been slapped on my hand one too many times by my compliance attorney. This is to put me in good standing.
This podcast represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time, should not be relied upon as investment advice, and is not intended to predict or depict performance of any investment. Any specific recommendations or comparisons that are made as to particular securities or strategies are for illustrative purposes only and are not meant as investment advice for any viewer.